Welcome everyone to Greencast. This is a podcast that brings practicality to being sustainable. Presented to you by the Waukesha County Green Team, your hosts are myself, Alec Lapoitevin. And me, Laura Lauks. Today I sit down with Caroline Preby. The CAGM founder, Caroline Preby, has been practicing sustainable fashion design as a designer, production manager, stylist, consultant, and educator for 20 years. The Center for Advancement of Garment Making is rooted in her belief that we have both a responsibility and opportunity to build fashion business models that are sustainable and regenerative, good for business, owners, employees, communities, vendor, partners, and the environment. Preby has worked for independent brands such as Zero Plus, Maria Cornejo, Rogan, Loom State, Alabama Channon, and Freeman Sporting Club, and for her own brand, Uluru. As a freelance consultant, Preby has pioneered new business practices for industry influencers, brands like Outlier, Permanent Collection, and the relaunch of Rudy Gernlich. Her consulting work emphasizes circular business model design and product design. She teaches her clients and students how to channel the same energy and creativity they pour into the design of a product into designing a business model likewise characterized by innovation, beauty, and durability. As adjunct faculty at Pearson School of Design, Preby taught zero-waste pattern making and fashion positive in collaboration with Cradle to Cradle's Fashion Positive. Her signature curricula are designed to give students hands-on experience testing and implementing circular design methods and circular business models. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Caroline. Hi, Caroline Preby. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, just dive right in here. So you're you're involved in the sustainable fashion world. Correct. Um, so how did you how did you get involved, and what do you do in the in the industry? Sure. Um, I went to uh, business school at Indiana University, and my first job um, out of fashion was at Donna Karen in New York. Um, and I was working on the business side, um, but uh, I found I had grown up in a family business, and I found this larger like corporate experience to be stressful, but also just very inefficient and mm. um, a weird way of working. And I really also um, found myself like longing to be in the design room. And I definitely have a right brain, left brain um, situation going on. So. Uh, I started to do some research online and I discovered this woman, Linda Gross, who is the pioneer or is a pioneer of uh, the sustainable fashion movement with all organic cotton sourced and made in Africa. And she was uh, embedding sustainability into the curriculum at the school in California that is now called California College of Arts. And I just felt a very strong pull to go study under her and with her at CCAC. So I left New York and uh, went to San Francisco, and um, I loved the I loved the program. It was the second bachelor's, unfortunately, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, there weren't options, and there still aren't a ton of options for um, uh, fashion design masters. Um, and uh, I loved my time there. I also Linda also took me on a tour. Uh, with the Sustainable Cotton Project, which takes large corporations like um, uh, Walmart, um, Williams-Sonoma, Nike. um, And it's this tour in the San Joaquin Valley where you see conventional and organic farms, Um, Mm -hmm. not just cotton, but then you also end up going to dairies and factory farms. And you see how when you take animals off 
the farmland, you create this like pollution problem and nutrient problem. So this, uh, this does actually relate to fashion in <laughs> a lot of our raw materials. Um, cotton, uh, especially, which is the most used, comes from agricultural um, outputs uh, and is an incredibly disastrous crop for soil and mm. public health and the health of the workers. Uh, so, and uh, the, the gin trash from the conventional cotton is actually... Uh, made into bedding or footing for the cows. So it actually gets into our food stream also. Oh. And these are chemicals like Agent Orange. Oh, wow. <laughs> that are, is used as a defoliant. Anyways, it was this like rabbit hole. And the more I found out, mm -hmm. the more I um, realized that there was a much better way to make clothing. And that if you worked in this other way, you could actually solve society's problems versus creating them. Mm -hmm. And that has kind of been my guiding light throughout my entire career. It was never... I was... I'm very interested in making beautiful things, but not solely beautiful things. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're only beautiful if you are able to make it in a, in a way that doesn't harm society or the environment. Um, so then I just, I moved back to uh, New York after uh, I finished the program at CCA and have just worked for primarily small independent designers. And I had my own brand, Uluru, for many years. Um, because I felt that was the way I could make the most impact. Mm -hmm. Sustainable design is definitely happening in corporations, larger corporations like H&M um, even now, but it, that's new. This is a new. Mm -hmm. And for me, I wanted 20 years ago, this was, <laughs> um, or it's been 20 years. Um, I finished CCA in 2003. I uh, wanted to be able to make a difference, you know, in the early 2000s and, and mm -hmm. on. So in these smaller brands, I could source organic cotton. I could choose local production. I could oversee the local production. I could design in a way that reduced waste, um, on and on. There's these like various techniques and that's what I've been doing ever since. And the fast past four years have been, um, consulting, uh, with startups and the established brands. Um, and, I was, um, I'm now currently solely just creating sustainable, uh, strategy, business strategy for mm -hmm. brands, um, that is both imp implementable, like it's an action plan. Um, it sets goals and then, um, they could also use it to get funding because, uh, sustainability strategy is now needed in investor pitches. Oh, okay. You're seeing yeah. that transition. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so it's not just the materials that you're looking at. It's kind of company operations as well. What else, yeah, what else do you so, look at with sustainable fashion? Sure. So, I mean, it's different for everyone. For me, it's not, it's never just been about materials. Mm -hmm. It's about, basically, it's a, a cradle to cradle, which is now um, sort of been expanded into circular, you know, a circular economy concept where um, you are looking at, the, in, the entire process. So like the seed, like where did the seeds come from or mm -hmm. where are you extracting, are you extracting petroleum to make polyester? You're looking at the origins of the fiber, mm -hmm. all the people involved in making it, uh, what's happening. Do you use water in this process? Do you use energy in this process? What kind of energy do you use? Mm -hmm. And, um, the supply chain of garments is, is pretty generally pretty complicated. Um, and things, uh, are generally not made in one place. You're getting inputs globally, right. um, especially from lar lar larger um, 
larger brands who have a global supply chain. Um, and then more importantly, okay, so you, you finally make a garment, you've gone through this complicated product development process, design and product development process, you make it, you produce it, and then what, how does the end user interact with it? Um, and the goal really now is to keep something in use as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, um, then provide options to either recycle, compost, resell, share, um, mend, uh, these, these garments so that they never end back up in a landfill unless they're compostable and you can compost, um, you know, and they go back to earth. Uh, but it's sort of identifying <clears throat> the impact at every stage, both social and environmental. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at, you have to look at dyes, you have to look at water usage. There's a lot of like drying treatments um, that require heat, that require a lot of water. Um, so there's a there's a really large uh, carbon footprint and, yeah. social, and social impact as You've probably heard in the news about people not getting paid for wages or not working in safe conditions or not having control over how, when, where they work, um, benefits. I mean, we have we have issues. It's not just in Bangladesh. It's in L.A. It's in um, it's in the United. It's on our home turf also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of really great NGOs and um, people that companies can partner with to to get a better grip on the supply chain and scope three emissions um Mm -hmm. so that that's that's, scope three being scope three is primarily the um the supply chain okay okay so not something that you're emitting yourself directly not in your like headquarters yeah it's not considered scope three yeah scope three is yeah is primarily primarily out out in your supply chain okay and transparency is really key to that and the the largest challenge for larger brands um target i mean not target uh well target included i was gonna say but you know larger brands like um yeah like a kohl's locally or Mm -hmm. target or whatnot is they work they don't own they don't own their factories and so they um work with companies like um, Lee and Fung or, or that have a global network of factories and they don't have transparency into their supply chain um, or they're working on, on getting it, but um, traditionally they, they haven't. Yeah, I've, I've found that in my work too, the supply chain is kind of the most tricky part. Um, right. We have a pretty simple supply chain comparatively, but right. I feel like clothing and food is just kind of impossible to figure out exactly where things are coming from and right. making sure that your suppliers, suppliers, suppliers right. are providing the right information. Right. Um, so exactly. yeah, that's so complicated. It is. And there's, um, it's, it's really complicated. So there's two things related to that. One, that's the benefit of startups, actually. Startups hmm. who people, who, companies who are starting now have the benefit of knowing that transparency is key. Oh, yeah. And so in building their supply chain, and especially if you're a smaller brand, it's a lot easier to, to, to keep track of and you know the mm-hmm. questions to ask. The other thing is there's this uh, emerging blockchain technology um, that is sort of going to revolutionize uh, the circular economy because it uh, is like a passport or a birth certificate for garments um and it will follow the it'll follow the garment from you know concept to um the consumer but it 
but multiple, con- you know, it's not just the first consumer. It will, fo- it just right. fall because it's a uh, prime. It might change right now. It's like they use QR codes. Okay. Um, and so it'll tell the consumer what the origin, um, makeup, like all the ingredients, you know, mm-hmm. raw materials, who made what, where it was made. Um, and then it will also tell, um, the consumer where you could recycle it, if you need a part to repair it, where you could get it, if there's a warranty program, if it's compostable, how do you compost it? Wow. If you recycle it, how do you recycle it? Where do you recycle it? Can you recycle it? Could you sell it to someone? What's the market? Do you, yeah. Can you send it back? Like it gives the, it gives, it empowers the consumer to make, um, smarter decisions. About, wow. Yeah. How far, how far away is that? Um, there's a really cool company, uh, that, that a friend of mine works for, um, out in San Francisco. It's, well, the, the parent company is called the Eon Group. The technology is called, or the product is called Circular ID. Okay. Um, and it's being piloted with a few brands, um, right now. Gabrielle Hurst, Gabriella Hurst just, uh, announced a partnership with, um, the Eon Group, um, and I'm sure there will be more soon. There's a few other, um, com- I think it's called like Blue Bite, I think is doing simple similar, but there's blockchain is really going to enable a circular economy. And, um, and I'm not sure why it's, it seems to be starting in uh, fashion, maybe because the supply chain is so complicated. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And blockchain as just a way of tracking things. Is that what that means? Yeah. Oh gosh. Blockchain is really complicated. (laughs) Actually, a friend is really complicated. Um, But yes, it is a uh, web of information that allows, it's like immutable and um, and, and democratic in many ways. Um, So there's a really great book that actually a former client of mine um, wrote. It's called Blockchain, The Next Everything. It's not very long. It's super great for just regular people who are interested in blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it explains how it's applicable to uh, everything. Yeah. Okay. We'll just leave it at that. because <laughs> yeah. Blockchain, I'm... The Next Everything. It's nice. good. By nice. Stephen Williams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned um, the greenhouse gas of the sustainable fashion industry. I heard... Yeah. I've heard some really crazy numbers about yeah. that. Do you do you know like what percentage like so that's a, responsible for? Yeah, so it's unfortunate um, because so <laughs> I I am very as you know I am very interested in the fashion industry reducing their emissions. It's it's um, you don't have to be a rocket science to know that that there are vast carbon emissions in the fashion supply chain. Um, however, the statistics that have been or the numbers that have been uh, that are most often cited are mm-hmm. not based in accurate, in a study, oh. in a like accurate study. It was a projection someone just threw out there. Someone well-known in the fashion industry, and I think with no malintent, I think didn't intend for the number to, to, mm-hmm. to uh, proliferate into the public. Uh, but it's, it's eight to, so what's quoted is eight to 10% of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and we globally, don't, you mean? globally, but okay. we don't know that. We okay. actually don't know that for sure. Okay. Um, there is this really great um, organization called the Apparel Impact Institute, um, and they have adopted this thing. This it's called Clean by Design protocol, and they work with factories globally. They're kind of going regionally, so I think they're in Vietnam. I think now they have an initiative in China, and they work with um, they work with factories to transition to more renewable, um, power, but also just, 
um, work with whatever's like they sometimes they don't have to totally reinvent the wheel or like completely change their mm-hmm. uh, energy source. They just have to make it more efficient. Like, but they're they're like literally in the global the factories of the global supply chain, um, and they are measuring. The, the best part is that mm. of this is that they are measuring. And if I feel like if anyone has an idea of what the carbon footprint of fashion would be it would it would be the apparel impact institute but mm-hmm. um because the supply chains aren't transparent um to most large companies they have they're not they don't they don't know what their scope three uh emissions yeah. are okay right 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 and that's probably yeah. the biggest emitters of the whole it is yeah it's like 80 that's like that we do know that scope three is like 80 percent of the right yeah <clears throat> yeah because scope one is what you emit like personally as a company yeah and then scope two is your emissions from um the energy produced yeah so then and like what you three, buy yeah. yeah yeah so that's gonna be 80 percent. so yeah. yeah so that's what we don't know yes correct got it <clears throat> is there um so in my my industry we work in um building products uh-huh. um yes. so like things you put inside buildings right um and LCA life cycle assessments right. are becoming really popular with us. So, for those of you who don't know, life cycle assessment is where you you track um, all of your inputs, materials, um, the transportation, the carbon costs of creating it, the you know everything that's manufactured within your plant, and then you come up with this number, this magical number of like the impact of this single product and how much greenhouse gas this product emits. Um, so is that something that's happening in the fashion world or is there something else that you guys are doing to kind of look at the life cycle of a product? Yeah, I have, um, I have read about it a lot for mm-hmm. years. I, I, I personally, uh, have not seen, have not seen one in the okay. fashion industry. I, it, it might exist. I don't know how I wouldn't have seen it cause pretty much all I do is read this stuff all yeah. day. Um, it, it could exist, but I, I haven't, it's something that I know that uh, brands have aspired to, and it's recommended, but I ha- I have not, I haven't seen it. Yeah. And I can imagine with a complicated supply chain, that would yeah. be even more complicated than what I have to make. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I Interesting. Know. I wonder if with blockchain that would become easier. Uh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I think so. Um, because you just would even know where to measure because there's no transparency. There's nothing to measure because they don't eat uh, a lot of companies don't even know where their goods are made there's not like mm-hmm. a place to even go go measure there's mm-hmm. no um yeah so there's a lot of work to do in, in the transparency um part of the equation not just for to measure environmental impact but for social reasons to see yes um what the status of workers is yeah yeah wow that's it's a lot of work yeah. <laughs> to work on uh, yeah but you know it is yeah it is a lot of work and i think fast fashion has really ex- exacerbated that mm-hmm. um i don't see i just i just am not someone who's interested in making money exploiting humans or <laughs> ruining the vi- environment i think mm-hmm. it's a it's bad for business it's a terrible business model mm-hmm. um it makes the clothes really ugly to me mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um and i think it's like a a thing that designers and fashion executives really have to look in their heart and and think about and face. Um, now you work in the creating clothes industry. What do you think about secondhand? Oh yeah, so um, 
it's funny because yes, I have primarily worked in the creating clothes industry. However, so much of the modeling that I do now has to do with, okay, how can we create or can we create a second market or how do we, Mm. um, yeah, how do we create a second market? And there's really cool, there's a really cool company called Yertle. It's a re-commerce company um, Mm. and they're growing like gangbusters and they're the company that has... Um, put together Warnware for Patagonia, and oh, okay. I think Eileen Fisher's. Renew, I think they work with Eileen Fisher's Renew. Um, they they handle e-commerce for brands, and they realized that like, okay, there's these brands that have really high second market value, and the the brands themselves have no control over that. So mm-hmm. let's make a win-win situation where we handle their e-commerce for them. Um, and they're able able to have control over not the first sale but the second sale and and you know maybe maybe more. Um, I buy from Warm I buy from Warmware on Patagonia. Um, I I I do like yeah I do like secondhand. I do wonder and vintage I love vintage. I do wonder what the effects of fast fashion will ultimately be on secondhand and and vintage because the clothes aren't built exactly like um, they used. to to be and when I buy vintage I usually buy it because of its like construction and Mm -hmm. the textile quality and if people are sending I don't think H&M product like an H&M skirt you buy for ten dollars will have the same I'm not sure it'll ever become vintage (laughs) I don't think it will maintain the same um, value as a cashmere sweater you you thrift Yeah. yeah Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That that could change the entire secondhand market. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it could. Hmm. But no, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think um, you can get some really beautiful garments that um, clearly have lasted a long time and probably mm-hmm. will last you longer if you are able to take care of them mm-hmm. um, and or repair them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you see climate change being spoken about more with the... Um, I want to say like normal market versus just the sustainable fashion industry. Yeah, it's the sustainability has uh, pervaded the fashion industry. Okay, um, which for the most yeah for the most part. I mean, um, VF Corporation, like PVH and VF own own a bunch of uh, uh, brands, and um, both are taking it really, really, really seriously. VF especially is really pioneering and has actually trained all their designers in circular design um, methods, has just put out a green bond to fund um, sustainable investments. Mm. Um, Yeah, VF is doing really cool things. Uh, H&M even is doing some pretty cool things. They fund a lot of startups related to Mm. sustainable fashion, whether it be in like biofabrication or recycling infrastructure. Target actually is investing in recycling infrastructure. Um, they see, they, they do see the need, um, to be able to recycle textiles and or garments. Um, and we don't have the technology or infrastructure to, to do that right now, but mm. they see the writing on the wall. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and their investors are looking for it. I mean, uh, you know, big investors like the world's biggest investor like BlackRock, now you need to have an ESG, environmental social governance strategy um, in your annual, well, just in general, but in your annual reports that you report on Mm -hmm. um, if you want to be part of the BlackRock portfolio. 
Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I've heard that trend increasing, especially in the investing world, is yeah. they're kind of driving a lot of the change requiring this stuff. Yes, but I didn't know it was... governments aren't, so they right, are... Right, right. Yeah. So investors are really yeah. doing a lot of work. and they're realizing that climate change is really bad for business. Yeah, yes. It's bad. It's really bad for business. It's a yeah. risk. It's a risk it's a assessment. huge risk. Yeah, huge risk. I mean, I just think of brands like Coca-Cola who, for example, depend on water. Well, if you uh-huh. don't have clean water, you don't have Coca-Cola. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you look at the environmental and also social impact right. of um, across the, the supply chain and the life of the clothes. So what, what else don't we know about the environment? environmental impact of our clothes what's hidden probably so many things um well like the example i gave earlier conventional cotton uses agent orange (laughs) yeah that's Uh, a big one (laughs) as a as a defoliant so basically when you're picking cotton you want uh conventional cotton um you want the green off the bowl so you don't stain the cotton bowl that's white, mm-hmm. green. So they spray Agent Orange on it um, to uh, defoliate, yeah, as a defoliant. And then uh, gin trash goes into factory farms. Gin trash is like all the seeds and like you, you put the cotton bowls in a gin to get all the stuff off of it, the like okay. seeds and sticks and leaves and whatnot. And that gin trash is really fatty. Um, the seeds of like cottonseed oil is really fatty. And so that actually ends up in our food system because the cows in factory farms eat it, like eat it. Mm. So it has um, fertilizers on it. It has pesticides on it. It has Agent Orange on it. Um, and that, that's what gets into our um, in factory farm beef. Uh, and then so that, that I would say that's a big one. Um, polyester... Oh, I know. This is a bu- this one actually is really a bummer. So a lot of people are really excited because we have reprieve or recycled plastic, um, recycled plastic made into textiles that are then made into garments. Particularly, yes. Particularly uh, performance fabrics, right? Yeah, I've heard Nike making the ocean plastic shoe yeah. or something like that. So the <laughs> the problem with that, unfortunately, despite people's really good intentions is one, those garments currently are not, not recyclable and they mm-hmm. are diverting plastic our PET from, from being made. So if you have a plastic bottle and you, you know, chop it up, mm-hmm. it can be recycled back into a plastic bottle very easily. Mm-hmm. The fashion industry, and then that could be recycled that you use it and that can be recycled again. So that's a really easy circle loop. Um, what happens is the fashion industry is trying to be sustainable. They are siphoning off the the supply of RPET because they will pay more for it than a bottler, you know, plastic bottler. Mm-hmm. And then they are turning into a garments. These garments are not recyclable, so they end up in a landfill. So it's not a closed loop. It's not a closed loop at all. Um, Does the recycled plastic coming in though has a have a lower carbon footprint than the cotton that you would have used otherwise? Like, does the, does the overall, does the, does the um, net balance out there? Uh, I don't know. Actually, that's a really good question. I, mm, cotton is recyclable. Mm-hmm. Um, we have more, we don't have a, the infrastructure, but there, consumers have, have some, have some options. Um, mm-hmm. 
And it's also, in many instances, biodegradable. I don't. I just think we sh- shouldn't be using petroleum-based textiles. Mm. Um, to make them in the first place requires a lot of water mm-hmm. um, and carbon. Uh, I, I, I think we have to find a way to make the existing supply recyclable Mm. um and easily recyclable Mm -hmm. yeah and we need the infrastructure to do it like where do you where do you take your old nike recycled plastic shoes right (laughs) yeah yeah do you have to send them somewhere there's a carbon impact sending things you know places Mm -hmm. um can, do we have an municipal system? And it's interesting because uh, chemical recycling would, is what we would need mm-hmm. to um, break things down to the molecular level, which would also allow you to recycle um, blends, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, right now you can't recycle, for example, a cotton poly sweatshirt because it's a, it's a blend and you can't separate. But chemical recycling takes things down to like the molecular level. And in many states, uh, it was illegal. Chemical recycling was illegal up until, I think in some states it's still legal, and it just became legal in Wisconsin, like, I think in, like, 2017 or something wow. recently. Yeah. So there's a huge, there's actually a huge, um, oper- like, business opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, it's, here. it's getting pretty yeah. huge. I've yeah. heard about it. Which is uh, real. <laughs> I think, exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That water, that clothing also, it's not just the carbon impact, it's water use like dyes pollute water use water and that also that we're not going to buy ourselves out of this problem actually the the greater responsibility on the consumer is to keep the garments they own in use as long as possible Mm. it that's a way better plan than buying a a organic cotton t-shirt like wear the ones you have yeah Um, yeah because even you know in the most sustainable of brands, there's, there's still a, you know, there's still a carbon impact. Um, the only way to at least mitigate that a bit is through regenerative farming. Yes. Which is really exciting, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's a type of farming where it pulls more carbon out of the atmosphere, right? And yep. puts it... Puts it back where it belongs. Yeah, it's into soil, right? Yep. It kind of... Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. So you can have climate beneficial wool, um, cotton... Wool and cotton, uh, flax, linen, um, those are like the main uh, sources. But there's a lot of cellulosic fibers that um, can can be produced via regenerative farming also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Tencel actually is a – so there's this company, Lensing, that has a closed-loop process. So Tencel, is, uh, Tencel and Modal are actually pretty sustainable – um, and in some instances, biodegradable um, uh, cellulosic fiber. Cellulosic meaning like uh, pl- it's plant matter. Oh, okay. So like eucalyptus or trees or some sort of fast-growing renewable okay. yeah. Yeah, uh, source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lensing, Lensing's website is super interesting, actually. They have a lot of information about their closed-loop process that is mm-hmm. pretty, pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do clothes go now if they're not recyclable? Uh, land, <clears throat> landfill. Landfill? Yeah. Yeah. I even, mean, even like when you think you're giving things to Goodwill, mm-hmm. um, you know, some things will have to go to landfill. And uh, and then, unfortunately, Americans send their cheap things to Africa, mm-hmm. which has ruined their local 
textile economies and garment economies um, because they get free cheap stuff from the United States and or it becomes a garbage problem. They don't want it. And then they're like, mm-hmm. we don't want your cheap t-shirts. And now we have a garbage problem. <laughs> wow. So you're donating, you know, your fast fashion is not always helpful. That is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> to not have a loop there because that's a no huge yeah. industry that it's just a one-way street right now. Yeah. It's a one-way street. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, going back to the, the cotton problem that you were talking about with sure. the, the Agent Orange and stuff, sure. does organic cotton solve that or mitigate any of those things? Or yeah. No? So organic cotton is great. Now there's a new there's a new certification being piloted called regenerative organic, which is even better. Oh, cool. Um, but organic cotton, um, and then there's another thing called BCI cotton. Um, it is like it's it's the Better Cotton Initiative. Um, so it's not certified organic, but it is. It uses um, less pesticides, less fertilizers, less water. Um, they might crop rotate, but and it's also a lot of farmers in transition. So it takes a while, bef- it takes years before you can fully transition um, to organic fields. Regenerative organic is great because they they are actually, you can measure the carbon being put back into the soil. Mm. Um, and I think the regenerative organic certification also looks at social aspects of the, of the process. Um, so it's not just it's not just pesticide or fertilizer chemical use. And then GOT, GOTS certified, G-O-T-S certified, mm-hmm. also takes it a step farther. Um, and they look at the, so it has to be organic, but also they look at the dyeing process. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they take it, yeah. They look at not just the textile, but all the way through until the garment. So GOT certified is actually a really great um, okay. certification to look for also. And that's usually on, on tags. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any other certifications that we should be looking for? Um, I hope regenerative organic soon. Um, there's this really interesting company that is getting into cotton. Uh, it's called Indigo Ag, mm-hmm. and they work with big commodity crops, but it's this big global s- startup, and it is. Uh, they have this like it. They work with regenerative farmers, and uh, they will soon have a. Be able to, you'll be able to co-brand. Um, so there will be an Indigo Ag, which I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think they've created a deal with Regenerative Organic yet. Mm-hmm. I think they're both like in pilot stage, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's an alliance um, there. But mm-hmm. Indigo Ag is something to look out for. Got Certified is really the gold standard. And then you also just have to read what uh, brands disclose on, mm-hmm. on their websites, honestly, mm-hmm. and kind of make a decision... Um, for yourself, because there's a lot of little brands that are working with small holder farms that are mm-hmm. producing, say, be- like um, this brand Baba um, works with organic cotton farmers. They make or- beautiful organic cotton um, sweaters. They also um, use, they also make wool sweaters um, and work directly with the farmers. Um, there's a lot of smaller brands that tell their story in a way that they may not have the bold certifications, but um, they're involved enough with their supply chain that they're able to tell a story that makes me very comfortable or want Mm. to um buy from them Mm -hmm. yeah besides um just keeping what you have not buying anything what else can we do personally to reduce the carbon footprint of our closets 
not yeah wearing the things wearing your things repairing your things you know swapping if need be um getting those bags uh laundry bags that um collect the microfibers so that your microfibers aren't going into the water supply and ocean i've never heard of that where can we get those and there's actually (laughs) um uh on the on the internet okay Okay. on on amazon i think yeah it's uh i think if you just put in like microfiber laundry bag, uh-huh. um, there's that, uh, you know, w- washing on cold cycle when you mm-hmm. can washing less, but you know, bigger loads, washing less cold cycle, um, hanging things to dry versus mm-hmm. drying. I think those are the, the bit, the, the biggest. Yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. Cause that kind of goes over the whole cycle of your clothes. It's not just like what you're buying, but it's how right. you're how you're using it and how you're washing it as well really affects the right. the light the whole life cycle carbon right. of your garments. And one of the other things that's I think is fun to talk about is um, uh, creating a I think a sense of style comes with a more edited wardrobe. So Ooh. when you wear things over and over, you are recognized for that sense of style versus yeah. wearing like the next trend at H and M every week and you're wearing something different. Um, you create an iconic sense of style when you like have these signature pieces that you sort of love and wear um, that feel that feel good to you know that feel good to wear. Yeah. Um, and so I encourage people to create a sense of style, a unique sense of style that is that is edited, and don't be afraid to wear things like over and over again. Yeah. This is like like this. Well, no one can see, obviously, but this sweater I bought from this small brand, Eleven Six in New York, and it's made in Peru. It's super bold and colorful, and I bought it because it makes me like so happy. And if I can, I will keep this sweater my entire life. I get uh-huh. compliments every single time that I wear it. <laughs> um, it's super comfy. I, you know, take I literally brush it because it's like furry. <laughs> I bought this special. Um, Actually, non-toxic, really great detergent. There's this company called The Laundress, um, mm-hmm. and they make non-toxic, really great um, specialty detergents mm-hmm. that are good for specific, like activewear or sweaters oh. or, um, yeah, very like baby clothes or or whatever. They they are like you know the hair conditioner for your clothing. They're mm. um, the Laundress is I think is a really great resource. Um, yeah, just being a curator of your own collection, which is your closet. <laughs> yes, I love that. And I, I feel that too. I tend to, yeah. I like to travel a lot. Yeah. And I tend to like try to buy clothes overseas because then I buy like one yeah. thing overseas and it has a memory. Actually, the, yes, the dress yeah, I'm wearing right absolutely. now, I bought in Istanbul. Oh, right. And so yeah. now every time I wear it, I'm reminded that I bought right. it in Istanbul and like, that, that limits my consumption as well because I only buy one piece right, when I travel. travel. It's not like I just go to H&M. That's so. a great idea. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think that's it that okay, I have great. for you. So thanks for joining me, Caroline. This of has been course, awesome. Of course, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Make sure to check out Greencast on Facebook where we post the most up-to-date information, release episodes, provide a lot more resources about things you heard on the show, and have conversations about episodes and sustainability in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and beyond. Also, if you're interested in the Waukesha County Green Team, please check out our website and Facebook page and come to one of our board meetings. They're always open to the public. Greencast is produced through the Waukesha County Green Team by Alec Lapoitevin and Laura Laux, with help from Stacey Balsley. Our theme music is by Dan Krill and Emma Kopel. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sustainability starts with all of us.